seated. All right, we're here today on Beach Settlement Inc. versus Indiana Annual Conference, the African Methodist Episcopal Church Inc. Uh, Mr. Paget, you are here representing the appellants, and seated with you is Chena, Shana Galloway. Thank you. And for the appellees, we have. Who's uh, Jenna Shives is going to be arguing this, and seated at the table with her is Joel Nagel, and Jason Luking is here somewhere. Will you identify yourself? All right. So we're ready to proceed. Mr. Paget, are you? I am. You have the floor. May it please the court. I'm Mike Paget. I represent the plaintiff appellants in this matter. And let me say initially, uh, I'm mindful that there are quite a few issues uh, involved in the briefing, and I'd like to use our time wisely. So I'd, I'd like to focus on those issues that you're most interested in discussing, and, and I don't know what those are. So I'm inviting you uh, to jump in uh, sooner rather than later with any questions you have or to discuss any particular issues of note. Don't do that, Mr. Padgett. We'll jump in right away. I'm ready to jump in well, right now. Have at it. <laughs> why did you file? Why didn't you file a 60B6 motion uh, saying that this was a void judgment if you believe there was no subject matter jurisdiction? It, it, it's a fine question. Uh, having looked at it again, uh, there are probably other ways to file this. Uh, as opposed to a, a quiet title action. But nonetheless, I mean, it, it, the, the fact of the matter is that prior judgment uh, is void as a matter of law because there was no subject matter jurisdiction. Void or void of all? Uh, void. I believe it's void. Yes. And that's uh, it, because of the statutory interpretation? It, well, it, it's two reasons. Uh, there's no subject matter jurisdiction, first of all, because that first complaint, which I'm going to call the 2000 complaint, okay, uh, was based on church doctrine and based only on church doctrine. Uh, there was no other grounds uh, in that complaint for why uh, the plaintiff in that matter, defendant here, was entitled to own that property. But doesn't the church doctrine uh, say that a court can't make a decision can't, uh, regarding this? And, the court really didn't make a decision. It's just stamped a, a settlement agreement between the parties. Yeah, I, I disagree respectfully. Uh, the, the basis of the complaint is that uh, the AME Church had enacted a policy, and that policy says uh, the AME Church owns properties on which its churches reside. Well, you use the terminology policy, but isn't it their discipline? Isn't that the foundational, in other words, if akin to a, um, a partnership agreement, an LLC agreement, in other words, it's binding upon that church as to how they hold, convey property, is it not? Yes. Yeah, I I'm using the term policy generically. Yes, it it's doctrine. Um, and isn't that what Indiana law gives weight to? No, no. Or church doctrine and with respect to policy or with respect to, to uh, property? Indiana law says church real property disputes need to be decided based upon law. Not church policy, not church doctrine, 
law. In other words, they have to be decided based upon principles of civil law. Courts should not be in the business of interpreting church doctrine and enforcing church. Isn't decided that? the operative word and there was no deciding? It, it, either, it's our position that the, the court, court, our position is the court either has subject matter jurisdiction or it does not. Whether the case is resolved through a settlement or otherwise does not impact subject matter jurisdiction. And, I, and yes. I really want to get go way back here. Okay. I still don't understand the relationship of these parties and the historical significance of that. Sure. I think that would help me with the issues that are have been brought before us. Yeah, so we, we in our briefing have referred to descendants. Okay, and, and this settlement was formed in Rush County in the early 1800s uh, by free people of color escaping discrimination uh, in North Carolina and Virginia. Uh, they set up a settlement. One of the initial things they did was to decide to build a church. And they pooled their resources. Uh, they recorded a document with the recorder's office uh, that says we're establishing a Methodist Episcopal Church, which the Methodist Episcopal Church now is known as the um, Methodist Church. Okay, it's, it's, it's not, it's the United Methodist Church is the current iteration of the Methodist Episcopal Church. So they formed a Methodist Episcopal Church. There's no evidence in the record that that church called Mount Pleasant, by the way. There's no evidence in the record that Mount Pleasant was ever an AME church. None. And so the descendants build the church. Uh, they operate the church from... And the, who are the descendants? Well, the, uh, I should say the ancestors build the church, and then their descendants operate the church up until about 1910. And by that time, uh, these folks were most, mostly farmers. Uh, people didn't want to necessarily be farmers. The property was being divided up. And so the settlement sort of dispersed at that point, and the church stopped functioning around So who was maintaining the property? The descendants. The descendants of the individuals who pooled the resources and built that church. Were they living on the property? No, it's a church property. It's a one acre, yeah, just to be clear, it's a one acre piece of land. But you said there was nothing going on after 1910. Well, well there certainly was. Uh, the descendants honored that property uh, as their ancestors' church. They maintained that property year round. We're not talking about occasionally going in and checking in on it. We're talking about maintaining that property year-round. Uh, they held uh, an annual homecoming event uh, once a year on the property. Which continues. Yes, uh, which was essentially a family reunion. Now at some point, and we don't know when, uh, that homecoming included a church service, followed by a picnic, basically. And at some point, the descendants began to contact the AME Church to provide a minister to conduct that service. Okay. And so it continued on that way from 1910 all the way up until very, very recently. And I know you're thinking, wait a minute, there was a settlement agreement back in 2001. Well, our folks did not know about that settlement agreement. And in fact, nothing changed. 
So who are the descendants now? Do we know every single one of them, or is, uh, is this resolved and then tomorrow a new descendant comes up? It could have been resolved had there been proper subject matter jurisdiction through publication of notice in the first case, but that didn't happen. Now, that's not my client's fault. Assuming I don't buy your subject matter jurisdiction argument, answer my question. Well, there remains issues of service of process in that 2000 case. That case included nine individual defendants and the whole world. Assuming I think that's personal jurisdiction that was waived, yes, well, then well, well, uh, answer my question. Yeah. Judge, where I was headed was there was actually only service of process on two of those defendants. There was, in fact, there's no record of even an attempt to serve six of those named defendants. But the other defendants are um, the, the daughters and of... Am I right? Uh, three are. One is not. The other one that is not is what relationship? She's just one of the... When, when I talk about descendants, I'm talking about a large group of people. Who, That's what I'm Their I'm families, they all know each other. They all see each other. That's a different term than we, yeah. we yeah, understand I'm, descendants. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to use a term that we can understand. What's yeah. the relationship between Beach Settlement, Inc. and these descendants? The descendants formed... Beach Settlement, Inc., uh, as a nonprofit. All the descendants? Well, the descendants that were around at the time. And that's the, that's the issue. There are descendants sort of directly involved, some a little more tangentially involved. And then certainly there are descendants who have moved away, who live out of state, who don't necessarily uh, go to the property, but probably uh, many of them come back for the homecoming each year. You're talking about undefined descendants. Yes. We're talking about... So how could you ever get notice and service on these undefined, I understand you're going to go with publication, right? Precisely. That's exactly how you do it. And that's exactly what the statute says you have to do to get subject matter jurisdiction. But you could have done a, a Charles 60B motion to set aside based upon lack of service, and that was not done. No. We, we have filed uh, under the approach that there was no subject matter jurisdiction uh, in that case, therefore it can be set aside. So. I'm sorry. You go. Please go. <laughs> I've got a question. The the uh, looking at the record, it looks like there was a deed that conveyed from oh I forget the family name, but conveyed to the trustees of the Mount Pleasant Church, and that yes. was really the last deed of record. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. So if you were representing these beach settlement, not the settlement of the lawsuit, but the settlement uh, physically, the the location. Uh, descendants, would they not still hold the property in trust? And how is that trust provision stripped off just through the passage of time versus some other affirmative act? Judge, do you mean uh, hold it in trust on behalf of the Amy Church? <laughs> well, I think the last deed of record was hold on trust for the Mount Pleasant Church, was it not? Yes, th that is true. And yes. then their theory and, and so, is, is that the Mount right. that then that was affiliated with the AME. That's their theory. Right? There's no but looking at you, that, there's no evidence of that. Yes, and, and so that's our the last is, provision of record in the deed. Don't right. isn't that trust provision still honored? Uh, yes, but our contention would be then that that trust continues down through the descendants, uh, it, because how else are we going to sort that out? Right. It, it's been that way for 150 years. Uh, this isn't a case where we're going to have a nice, neat. Uh, record of passage of title, but we do know it's been held by the same 
families for 150 years. I'm interested in your adverse possession claim. When are you saying that the adverse possession claim began? Through two periods of time at issue. Uh, and the first, do you call it adverse possession? I'm not sure it's technically adverse possession. Again, the same families have controlled that property for a couple hundred years now. If you go all the way back to when that property was first acquired, we're pushing 200 years. Did they pay the taxes? There are no taxes, but they are the record holders on the taxes. Yes. Okay. They, yes. Re they received Phelps. the documents showing. I'm sorry? They received the documents showing yes. no tax. Yes. As yes. an exemption. Yeah. Um, we were talking about adverse possession. Right. Right. So th they clearly possessed the property for many, many, many years. Uh, then the 2,000 cases filed. There's a settlement agreement. They're not aware of the settlement agreement, but presume for the moment it's effective. Well, they they continue to control the property. Again, nothing changed after that settlement agreement was entered. Uh, and nobody records, from the AME Church showed up to say, hey, you guys got to get off the property. The tax records changed? No, nothing so changed. So it was recorded, but the tax the records judgment, didn't change. Yes, the judgment was recorded. So it was then look, the owner, assuming that judgment was okay, it, the owner of the property then became, in 2001, AME, I-A-C-M-A-M-E. I-A-C, yes. I-A-C-A-M-E. So how can you claim adverse possession after that deed was recorded? Because the descendants have continued to control that property ever since. So, they, they, but they, doesn't the clock stop and start running again then after yeah, 2001? Yes, and, and 2001 was 22 years ago. They okay. clearly met the 10-year requirement. So, so from 2001, assuming that there's notice and duration and intent and control, Yes. Who adversely possessed that property? The descendants as a group. But the... the that, that is a long list of people. But the lawsuit is Beach Settlement, Inc. Well, and individual plaintiffs. And yes. three individual, four individual plaintiffs. Yes. But, well, but, well, but, but uh, if I could add, Judge, I mean, add, yeah, I'm sorry. What law do you have to support that it can be a group that can adversely possess? There's Indiana case law, I think we cited in our brief, that if families could adversely possess land, couples But a can... defined family. Again, yes. We have an undefined class of people here. And if I could add, this case was decided on summary judgment against my client. We never had an opportunity to, to put into the record evidence of who those folks are. You can do affidavits. You can do records. It, it is, it's a group of families, yes, no question about it. And so you're asking us to um, set a, have, order the trial court to set aside the summary judgment, but you're not asking for summary judgment yourself. No, in fact, part of our frustration is we intended to file our own motion for summary judgment, and the court issued its order on uh, defendant's motion before we had a chance to even do so. We never got our day in court to even file a motion for summary judgment. How was that? Because I saw in the court's order the court apologizing yes. for the delay and why didn't you file Be within that time? Because the, the summary judgment deadline was still months away at the time and we were still working on gathering information for our motion. 
defendant filed, frankly, a motion for summary judgment sort of out of the blue, surprised us, and we were not ready to file our motion. Uh, and, and so we, we also did not expect the court to rule prior to giving us an opportunity to file our motion. So who Thank had you. the keys? Oh, go Sorry, ahead. are they out of time? Yeah, Can I ask a couple questions? Of course you may. <laughs> who had the keys to this property? The, the, the gate and the property itself? The, the descendants, yeah. And just to be clear, the... Who? I mean, uh, some, I mean, there, were, there were at least two key holders that I know of, okay, Priscilla Phelps and Brian Jeffries. And they received... There may, there may have been more. And the other ones that, that were entered into the original agreement in 2001? Uh, no, they, they, they did not. Brian Jeffries was not named in that lawsuit. Priscilla, Priscilla Phelps was. was. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, and then I did have another question. Please. Oh, why? Why do they continue to maintain this property after they entered into this agreement? They, they had no idea that the agreement was Priscilla out Priscilla did. She no. knew about it. No, no. She didn't, she didn't learn of that agreement until they were in 2018 when they were raising money to renovate the property. But she received service, it no. says in the record. She did not receive the settlement agreement. No. She had no idea there was a settlement agreement. She received service of the of the original title. complaints. Yes, yes. She received service of the complaint back in two thousand. Right. She had no knowledge of the settlement agreement. Thank you, Mr. Paget. You, Ms. Shives. May it please the court. Judge, I'd like to start where you left off on one of your questions about adverse possession. And so one of the questions was about the time period before and after the settlement agreement from 2000. So I think the question you are getting at on that is the statute of limitations argument we raised. And we would agree that the statute of limitations applies to the time period before the complaint. And if they were making the argument only that they adversely possessed it after the fact, then that wouldn't be barred by the statute of limitations. However, on that point, if you look at their briefing and all the designated evidence, they expressly disclaim that. They say, we're not claiming that we've adversely possessed it since then. They say, our interest vested before that time period. So I, I looked at the complaint. I saw the complaint. In fact, I have the complaint in front of me. I'm not sure I can pull this right away. But it does look like they do talk about after the 2001 period of time. Um, let me see if I can find it. You're not, I know what you're referring to, and I'm specifically talking about on their summary judgment briefing and then before this court, how they framed the issues. All right. So... I'm confused about why a statute of limitation would even be involved because it's my understanding of the law through the Garriott case that once there's an adverse possession, it's as a matter of law. You don't have to go to court. Done. Ten years runs. You've done this. It's a matter of law that you own that property. Uh, and so why are we talking about a statute of limitations? It seems to me that we would be talking about a statute of limitation if someone opposed that, then they would have 10 years to file suit. So why are we even talking about that? Sure, Your Honor. From the time our client recorded the judgment in 2001, that 
put the appellants on notice that we claimed an interest in the property. So the quiet title action at 3232.20 says an action to determine a quiet title may be brought by a plaintiff who is in possession, out of possession, or who has a remainder interest. What's the, so, what's the nature of your notice? Just the recorded judgment, settlement agreement? Yes, Your Honor. So you're conceding, are you conceding the facts that, that the premises were maintained by the Beach Settlement family, or Beach, yeah, the Beach Settlement family, in other words, the key to the gate, and those activities were conducted by? I think all of those activities that are mentioned in the record were done with my client's permission. And the designated evidence showed, and he, uh, counsel has even said today, that the activities had not changed. And so all of those conduct were done with my client's position. Isn't that a question of fact and not a question of law for a summary judgment as to whether or not there was permission by AME for this or whether or not uh, that it was done open, notoriously, without the permission of your client? Your Honor, I think that could raise a potential question of fact as to the control element, mm -hmm. but there would still be an absence of fact on the intent element and so that would preclude summary judgment in their favor and be worthy of granting summary judgment in our favor because we affirmatively negated an element of their claim. Why would there be no question of fact as to the intent of the, the parties? If you look at the designated evidence and what has actually been cited, for the four individual appellants, there is no evidence in the record of what they did to maintain or control this property. There is no evidence in the record of their intent to own this property. There's no notice that our client could have that these people were claiming an ownership interest. In fact, the designated evidence from my client shows that they actually had no notice of this intent. You're talking about the four individual yes, persons. Your Honor. What about the Beach Settlement Inc.? Well, as to that for Beach Settlement, whether they were maintaining it is still separate question from the intent of the ownership and their designated evidence still talks about maintaining the property and taking care of it. They never once claim in their affidavit and they presented two affidavits that Beach Settlement had claimed any ownership of this property. And the sign on the property in fact shows Indiana AME Church as the historical marker. And what did your clients do with that property in, in these intervening years since the agreement? That they held an annual church service there. Once a year they did that? Yes, and then there were individuals from the church who would go out and help with the property upkeep as well. Okay, so you, they, your clients did a one year or once a year service, and then the appellants also did a once a year service. It was the same service, Your Honor. Okay. It was one joint homecoming. So it was all of the parties here today were at the same homecoming on, I believe, the fourth Sunday in August every year. So that was the same use. So to the extent that you're looking at that, that can't be hostile to my client because it was done in conjunction with throughout that action. That's once a year, and we, we know from the complaint and from affidavits that uh, the settlers or the descendants of the settlers had 
cut the grass, had maintained the property, had uh, collected or received donations of $300,000 to, to, uh, to uh, fix up this place, and they did, in fact, restore it. They had a key to the gate. Only they could open the gate. I mean, doesn't that all show a question of fact as to whether or not there was adverse possession? I think it still lacks the intent of ownership possession because even through that, it's maintenance and use. They're not keeping our clan out and nothing that they have said in this designated evidence says that they intend to own the property. They keep them out though because they had the keys and they had to have permission. And the designated... They would give, if I read this correctly, they gave notice of wanting to enter the property and they one of the appellants would have to unlock the gate and I guess unlock the church for them to use it, correct? Well, Your Honor, the record on that shows that that was in practice with it prior to the 2000 litigation and after. So I believe the designated evidence says it since at least 1985. So that was the custom and practice of what my client expected it to be. So that was a permissive use by them that they would not have known to be hostile. Well, let me ask you this. There was a point raised um, that the property transfer records still reflect ownership in the appellants. Is that correct? I'm sorry, would you repeat that for me? Well, they indicated there's no taxes paid because it's exempt from taxation, correct? Yes, Your Honor. Property, right. But there's still a property ownership card and, and other evidence at the auditor or the um, recorder's office as to who owns the property. And my understanding from appellant's attorney was is that the property transfer card in Rush County still reflects ownership in the appellants. That's actually incorrect, Your Honor. It reflects Priscilla Phelps's name, and she is not a party to this lawsuit. She was a party to the 2000 action. But she's certainly not AME. Correct. And she's why, so the... So why wasn't that perfection of that transfer done? Do you, have, do you know? It's not in the record, Your Honor. Um, but as far as if that can be used as evidence that these plaintiffs and now appellants claim ownership, she's a different person. So that can't carry over. But she was the one who incorporated Beach Settlement, Inc., correct? Yes, Your Honor. Priscilla was? Yes, Your Honor. And so really, Beach Settlement, Inc., Inc. is is Priscilla. Uh, we would believe so, Your Honor, for privity purposes. The appellants disagree with that. So they've designated evidence that would be contrary to that. Which, again, would be a question of fact, right? Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't say Beach Settlement on that property card. So if it were to be Beach Settlement who believed that they had the ownership that they were trying to express through that card, it would have been their name on it, not hers. But when you argued about race judicata and uh, issue preclusion, you argued that they were in privity, right? That Priscilla was in priv privity with Beach Settlement, Inc. Yes, Your Honor. But I think that they're, they're two different questions. So whether an individual can be in privity with an entity is not the same as the property ownership. Because does that mean that if she had a home titled in her name, then 
Beach Settlement suddenly has the ownership interest in her home because that's now the privity, it doesn't automatically flow that way. So for res judicata and claim preclusion, it's a different issue than a tax filing. And I would also note that her name was on that tax filing before Beach Settlement Inc. was formed. So Beach Settlement Inc. was not incorporated until 2017. And so that would have been only her interest before and nothing on that recorded change since then. You know, I've never asked this question before, but what is going on here? Why, why are we arguing about this historic property that's sitting there that everybody probably wants to keep historic? Why, why are we here? Your Honor, the record doesn't say. Um, the interest from both parties is in this just historical property that both parties believe they have an ownership interest in. So, But aren't, don't they all want to do this? Everybody wants to do the same thing as make sure that it's preserved historically forever and that this great history of coming from North Carolina, Virginia border, you know, to a Quaker County, I, I guess I just don't understand. And I know it's off the record. I've never asked that question before, but it's just so, I just don't understand. Your Honor, I, I understand. Um, I was not trial counsel on this. I asked the same question myself. I searched the record and if I had an answer for you of why we're here fighting, I would, I would answer that for you. Um, but unfortunately the record just doesn't show anything to answer that question that you're asking today. It's inappropriate to even ask this, but I'm going to ask it since she asked her question. <laughs> Go for it. Um, of course, I can't ask if there's been any settlement negotiations, but is it beyond the realm of possibilities that either one of you could request that today as a possibility? Your Honor, I'd have to speak with my client. I don't have that authority as I stand here right now. And I would like to go back uh, and correct some of the statements earlier that counsel made previously. He said that there was no record of it being an AME church anywhere that is in the record. Uh, it was designated through my client's 30B6 testimony of their deposition. And there's also the photograph showing the historical marker outside the building that says this is an Indiana AME church. We adopted this by resolution. I believe the year was 1840. Is there evidence in the record that would demonstrate and, and it, maybe it's a kind of a following on the, the other questions from the panel of what appears to be the disconnect of the terms of the settlement agreement and what has actually happened subsequent. Because as I read the settlement agreement, if we were following that, then um, there's a written report of funds collected from the annual service. Um, the, the costs and approve of any approved repairs or maintenance would be made by your client. Um, and, and those things, and as far as I can see from the record, there's no evidence that any of that occurred. Yes, Your Honor. In my client, uh, I'll say actually in Reverend Gary's deposition uh, affidavit that was designated, he testifies that he, uh, through Indiana AME, has complied with 
all the terms of the settlement agreement. Now, the appellants say that they did not comply, but they also maintain that they weren't parties to that lawsuit, so why would they need to comply with that order that they say they were not a party to? So who collected the money? For which aspect, Your Honor? Who collected the um, funds at the service? It was a joint, the, de the evidence shows that it was a joint effort, Your Honor. And then who kept it and who spent it? There is deposi deposition testimony from my client of how the church or the, I believe the term is the local elder, who would have been responsible for divvying that out. And so there- Your client? Yes, Your Honor. Now there was evidence from their clients that they also raised money and passed a hat, but- Separately from that annual service or at the time of the annual service? At the time of the annual service, Your Honor. And so what you'll see from the record, I think, is that there was a general passing of the hat that both included members of the church and non-members of the church who were there at the time. And I want to touch briefly on the questions you all asked earlier about the church dispute and how this court can look at it. I would agree from the outset, either a court has subject matter jurisdiction or it doesn't, but I would also point you to the 2000 complaint and what it asks the court to determine is the property interest between what the church claims and what the defendants at that time had claimed. And the record shows that there had actually been pre-suit communications with an attorney for the descendants who claimed an ownership interest in the property. And that spurred the 2000 litigation. So in that 2000 litigation, there is no question of what church doctrine should apply. Is it correct? Is it not correct? It is simply a matter of my client saying we have an ownership interest in this property and we believe other people claim the same interest well, in Well, let property. me ask you this. If we go along with the idea that it's uh, there's no defect of subject matter jurisdiction. Then the decree of, of quiet title that was issued by the court based upon the settlement agreement was not, there was no publication. So as to the world or unknown persons, then those claims of those unknown persons or as to the world are not extinguished by that decree. Is that correct? Your Honor, that is not a claim that had been raised in this litigation until the reply brief by the appellants as to personal jurisdiction. So I would say that is waived. And I know that there is authority that says personal jurisdiction can be raised at any time. But if you read that line of cases, that talks about trial rule 60B, that you don't have to bring it within three years. You don't have to bring it within five years. So it's really a different question. And this was, as you all noted earlier, that this was not a question under trial rule 60B of setting aside the judgment under that mechanism. And this court has repeatedly held that you can, you can waive personal jurisdiction, especially asserting it for the first time on appeal or in the uh, appellant's briefs, uh, the reply briefs. And a citation for that would be Heartland Resources, Inc. versus Beetle, 903 NE2D 1004. But if we have these group of, of claimants for the adverse possession claim, Forget about the other parts, elements of the suit, but the adverse possession claim, and they're standing there, and they were not named in the 2000 settlement and decree, would they not have standing to bring that um, adverse possession claim? 
Your Honor, I think regardless of the 2000 litigation, if they believed that the elements had been met for adverse possession after that fact, yes, they would be able to do so. In fact, I could claim adverse possession if for 10 years I decided to have control, notice, and duration. Anyone yes, could. It doesn't matter what kind of claim or interest they had before 2001. Yes, Your Honor. If it was a party who received full proper notice, engaged in settlement discussions, there was no dispute about their attorney's authority to represent them, they entered into the agreement, and then the very next day they began their t new 10-year clock, they would be able to bring that adverse possession claim. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And I know there was some confusion as to the parties that we discussed earlier. So to clarify, the three individuals who would have privity would be Kelly Barksdale, Teresa Boyd, Whitney, and Whitney Jones, and then Beach Settlement, Inc. The individual without designated evidence in the record as to her privity was Cynthia Jeffries Long. And so as to Ms. Long, she would still be raising the exact same claims that she raised in this litigation, and her claims would rise and fall as she has them here. So she would still have had to prove her, her ownership interest in this to prevail on summary judgment, and there is no designated evidence in the record as to her ownership interest. If there are no further questions, we ask that the trial court's judgment be affirmed and summary judgment entered in my client's favor. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you, Ms. Shives. Mr. Padgett. Thank you. I, I want to just address some of the uh, remarks and kind of take them in order. Um, if I understood correctly, I, I think I heard a statement that we're not asserting uh, adverse possession after 2001. We, we talked about that in, in our earlier discussion. We certainly are. Uh, and we believe they the descendants possess the property uh, for much longer than 10 years after 2001. So just to clarify that. Um, there was also a remark that uh, in terms of uh, my client's possession of that property, which was all-encompassing, they did everything at that property. The only thing the AME Church did was pick up the phone when my clients would call and say, and my client would say, can you send somebody for the, the homecoming? They'd say, sure, and they'd send a minister. That's all they did. That entire homecoming was organized by my client and run by my client. When was the majority of the um, re rehabilitation or rehab of the property, when did that take place, what year? It was, uh, it's either 2017 to 18 or 18 to 19, one of those two. I'm thinking 2017 to 18. I'm and getting who, lots of head. Yes. who was involved in that, in the decision making of what to do with the property? Uh, it, it was driven by the descendants, the, the active descendants. Yes, and, and you know, they basically had to, re, they had to replace the entire sort of substructure. Uh, they had to lift the building, old building out. It had rocks, large stones for a foundation. They had to take those out and replace that. Did they get permission? They worked through, what well, permission from whom? From the church. Oh, no, no. There were no communications between my clients and the church. The throughout that time. That in the record? 
I, I believe so. It says the, the only participation by the church was to essentially provide a minister. Is the, the structure insured? I'm sorry? Is the structure insured? I, I'm sure it is, but I don't, I don't I mean, know the that, details. That, is that in the record? No. So it, it, I was headed down the path of that control, and the remark was made that that my client's possession was with the permission of the Amy Church. That is not reflected in the record. Uh, my client took, to, uh, had control of that property, again, for, you know, 150, couple hundred years, uh, totally took care of it, did everything it took to maintain that property, never had to co communicate with the Amy Church to do so. Uh, there was no permission granted. Um, in terms of the activities of the four individuals, bear in mind uh, we, there was a question about what was the activity of the four individual plaintiffs. They are descendants, and so we have evidence in the record in which we have collectively identified the descendants as having engaged in all of these activities. Again, I know you asked questions earlier about who those folks are, but it, there's record evidence that all of those descendants, including those four plaintiffs, were involved in maintaining that property. So if we say that there's adverse possession, who are we saying is well, adversely possessing? What, what would our order be? Yeah, Judge, right now all we're asking you to do is undo that, that order granting summary judgment for defendants. We'd still like to file our motion right. for summary judgment right. and put facts in the record to, to clarify have, that. We still have to find, though, um, that there's a question of that. fact as to, to who would be able to claim adverse possession. And there's a question of fact, and what right. is that question of fact? Right now, the evidence in the record is all of the descendants have had some involvement in that property. Now, are they named by name? Well, four of them are. Uh, Priscilla's named by name. Uh, yeah, Brian's named. Exclusive, and so that's why we need to know who it, yes, has but, exclusive. And that would be information we would provide in our motion for summary judgment. Right now, uh, I mean, defendant has been granted summary judgment uh, in this case. We're trying to undo that. I understand that. Yeah, and they have certainly not negated our adverse possession claim. You know, I'm just one person here, all right, but I'm just going to say, I think you all, in my opinion, are going to be heading to a jury trial on an adverse possession claim, all right, uh, after 2001. And you all want the same thing. You all want this to be a historical marker. You all want it to stay and remain in history as a legacy. Uh, the Beach Settlement people have done everything they could, it looks like, to keep this going. AME, I'm sure, has done things as well to keep this going. Is this worth a jury trial on this issue? And like I said, I'm only one person here, and I have no idea what my colleagues are going to say. But if I were the two, the, your sides, I'd start talking to one another before cha-ching, cha-ching, there's more money that's expended on attorney fees. Yeah, and Judge, I, I want to go back to the question you asked uh, Defendant's Counsel. Uh, we have proposed settlement discussions we didn't get a response. I do think this is a, I, a matter that ought to be resolved. I, I don't. I don't want to hear about 
what, who's, who's, who's done what and who's done whatever. It's just going to be more contention right. here. Um, I think somebody from our court would be happy to do a mediation of this. Uh, we would agree to that. And be happy to mediate it. I don't know who that might be, but somebody would do it from our court. And like I said, I'm just one person sitting here, but I'm thinking, I'm sitting here saying, oh my goodness, you all want the same thing. Why are we here? And, and we're perfectly happy to decide this case. Don't get me wrong. All right. But every time we decide there's petition for transfer, there's going back maybe to the court, there's a jury trials, you know, this is a lot of money that everybody's expended on this. I think mediation would be a great idea. Would you, could, could you talk for a minute, both sides, talk to your clients and see, you know, I don't know who would, who could do this mediation. Yeah. We could get Shepard, we could get Baker, senior judge to do this. Sure. Uh, and see if it works, and if not, we'll issue an opinion. Uh, so, I appreciate that offer. Let's let's take a recess here for a minute. I've never done this in a hearing, and and if you think I'm off bounds, say don't do it. It won't be held against anybody. Nobody tells us, you know, who it is. Don't, it, it, you don't have to. We're no, not forcing you to do this. It just seems like. This should be a solution. There should be a solution here. Sure. Now, just logistically, uh, you want us to talk now and come talk back? To, talk now. Uh, if you can't come to a decision now, let us know in the next five days with the pleading. All right. Let us know. And if you say, yeah, we're ready to try it, we'll ask, you know, Senior Judge Baker or Senior Judge Shepard to do this or Senior Judge Najem is another alternative and should we how should we communicate that to the court in a in a pleading okay. in a pleading and if not are you okay with this <laughs> <laughs> i suggested it okay <laughs> well this is the here's the I, new guy he yeah, just yeah, sees yeah, his yeah, first yeah, case yeah. or second case and we're we're already doing something unusual well uh, you know you know, as I see it, the, the court has given the parties, has recessed the argument, given the parties an opportunity to consider whether under our appellate rules, mediation or alternative resolution is appropriate under the circumstances, and then we're going to reconvene. Uh, we'll give you brief moments here to speak, and then um, understanding that it may take longer than that, uh, potentially hold that. that um, we don't need to reconvene. All right, so just, just hold it to the, the five days. Yeah, our, 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 our bailiff can, if you do it today, our bailiff can take. I'm, I'm sorry. We're here in the state house. I think We're here in the state house. We don't, ha we don't have to come back here and reconvene. Okay. If you guys can figure it out today, you know, if you want to do this, then just talk to the bailiff here and say, yeah, we're going to try and we'll do it. If okay. not, five days, let us know one way or the other. Yeah. Is this okay with you? Your Honor, yes. I just want to let you know uh, we have one member from our client's organization today, but they would need permission from the Board of Trustees Got it. Um, to of make course. the decision. So 
five we days. Need, we will need that time to do it. So uh, that's perfectly understandable. So in five days, uh, file something with the court one way or the other, and we'll go from there. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We're adjourned. All rise.